0: Radio studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
1: An aerial show of force from the Chinese military. The largest incursion ever inside Taiwan's air defense zone. Fifty-six planes, nearly 150 flights since Chinese National Day, Friday. China views Taiwan as a breakaway province, and Chinese President Xi Jinping has pledged to bring the island under Chinese Communist Party control. He said time and time again, we're going to resolve this issue with Taiwan. If it has to be by force, it will be by force, and we're not going to pass this problem on to the next generation.
2: Yeah, so China's been flying uh, warplanes into Taiwan's air defense space. In the last couple of days, as you heard there, over 100 military aircraft have flown near Taiwan. That's between Friday and Sunday, including 80 fighter jets, four bombers, five anti-sub
1: planes, and four early warning aircraft. That seems fairly provocative. The question is, what is China up to? We have a number of questions, and Mike Lyons, military analyst, joins us. Mike served with various military organizations, both the United States and Europe, throughout his career. Mike, welcome. How are you? Hey, guys. So great to be back with you. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. So I just have a very basic question. What's an air defense space? I assume that's different than their national airspace.
3: Right. It's 12 miles outside the border of uh, where, where the land hits. And so each country has a, um, an area through international law that says they own space 12 miles outside of where the land starts. And so uh, when you get outside, you know, inside of that, you're allowed to defend your land space. Um, and so missile systems have got to at least go to that place. And so now once the Chinese violate that, they're in theory violating the sovereignty of that country, and in this case, Taiwan.
1: So it's very much like putting your finger an inch from somebody's nose. You haven't touched them, but the incursion is absolutely intentional.
3: Right. And this is different than the, the kind of the classic Cold War ones where Russia would do this to the United States, they would, you know, kind of come out just to the the edge of our uh, of our uh, that space there and we would see it was designed to see how fast we would alert and and de- deploy aircraft to respond so we looked at that as just them testing us to see how we would respond here this is different because you know when you send 150 planes into this area you're not you can't respond there's there's you can only do so much this is about this is a threat there's no question about that this is clearly a, a threat to to Taiwan and the Chinese states in response to our naval exercises that are taking place in Okinawa, and that's a couple of you know island zones up to the north. But again, uh, what's happening here is something we just really haven't seen the Chinese do in a long time.
2: Okay, so I just want to make sure I understand this. So it sounds seems to me, or sounds to me, like so they got it. They had enough uh, badass aircraft flying close enough to Taiwan that if they'd have wanted to do something, they could have done it, and it would have been too late for any us or anybody to stop it.
3: Oh, no question. I mean, we don't have that kind of capability on the island itself. I mean, Taiwan has some basic air defense platforms, uh, surface-to-air missile systems, but nothing that could take out what they put over there. I mean, if the, those, the, the H-6 bombers, for example, are nuclear-capable, you know, they open their, their doors, drop bombs on Taiwan, it's, uh, it's over. I mean, there's you know, and, and the Chinese are going to do things like use a nuclear attack nuke first. You know, they're going to use their hypersonic missile systems or cruise missile systems. Um, what, we've, what we're learning from the Chinese is that they've learned from us from Desert Storm that in order to win these wars, you have to you know punch hard first the first time, make it so bloody that the the enemy doesn't want to respond. Here, I, I I'm just so surprised it's so quick, it's happening so fast. Um, in that you know the Chinese have traditionally played the long game. We we expect them, for example, they want to have this let's say blue water world class navy by 2040. You know that's still 20 years from now. They're working towards that. It takes basically a generation to do that to have the technology, They have the equipment. Um, to me, it looks like they 're speeding up that timeline, and this is one good example of it So what are they after by doing something this egregious what 's next well it 's all about protecting power in the South China Sea and how they anticipate this would go, um, how they want to be the penultimate power there in that part of the world um, they 're you know claiming the responsibility of you know the United States Australia, Japan. South Korea if you know that's kind of the ally system right now that's going to have to push back against the Chinese talking to another analyst over the weekend there we were saying okay so let's war game this out what what does war with China look like And a unit you guys and I have talked about that and where it would take place and we're, we're coming to realize that it likely takes place very similar to what we saw in the second world war in this island hopping campaign as the chinese look to gain and hold certain of these islands that are close to taiwan um, would eventually they would try to unfortunately use some kind of amphibious operation to take over the island itself now they'd likely destroy it there'd be a lot of death and destruction um and i think the chinese are threatening the, our allies on ourselves saying don't even think of doing anything because the price you're going to pay will be an aircraft carrier. We're going to sink an aircraft carrier. We're going to sink two aircraft carriers. In fact, if you've got two there in the region right now, we've got a couple there. The U.S., uh, I think the Vinson's there and the Ronald Reagan's there right now. A couple destroyers protecting it as well. Um, they're going to go right after that, and they're not going to hesitate. It's.
2: it's I don't know how likely it is, but if they wanted to, um, they could change the the, the the balance of power on the planet like in a day, right? I mean, they attack Taiwan. Yeah. If we don't react... And Japan says, well, the United States didn't come to their defense, so I guess we're kind of out of luck. And then just a whole bunch of people decide, okay, the United States is not the policeman of the world or going to fix right. everything everywhere, so we need to figure out how to deal with China. And things would change, like, really, really fast, wouldn't they?
3: Right. Just look at, so look at what Afghanistan taught our allies, that when we don't put America first, when we decide, "Ah, eh, you know what, we're not going to really defend you guys, we're out of here – look what happens and, and versus if you're an ally of the chinese you know th- they like the fact that they put china first because that means they know they're always going to back them up well that's that's what's happening right now like that's what this test is to them because they absolutely can and again this is a country that would use a low level nuclear capable weapon in in the beginning of the fight it would escalate immediately right to that now does it get to you know intercontinental ballistic missiles i'm not sure we would do that we would trade city for city or anything like that but but they're going to do whatever they can to project this level of power given what's you know given what their plan is their belt and roads uh, suspenders and, and that, that uh that initiative that's taking place throughout throughout asia you know they want to be the world dominant power this is their century and this is how they think they have to do it and um we're we're, we're sitting there going, okay you know are they 10 feet tall what, what do they look like you know They're they're not. They might be ten feet tall, but they're six feet and they're growing. So we're going to have to deal with this. um, I think sooner than later.
1: Mike Lyons, military analyst on the line. Uh, Mike, you mentioned our aircraft carriers as a uh, friend and relative of various naval and and marine personnel, and and somebody who's been proud of our
3: amazing aircraft carriers since WW2. Can we defend them anymore? Well, that's a great question, and given their hypersonic missile capability, uh, over 2,500 um, surface-to-land missiles that they have, that they built on the, in the South China Sea, I, I don't know. It's a, you know, the, they're going to change how warfare goes. Um, I, I just, was, I'm on a conference right now at the Modern War Institute, and just heard a very telling comment made by a guy that said, you know, we've got, we've been 100% wrong in predicting the next fight. Well, you know, the next fight we know is going to involve cyber, we we know the next fight is going to involve technology, but but I, I think the next fight involves this swarm technology where drones and the like are just going to be, you know, robots are being thrown at our are systems that are manned by people. And, you know, you can't defend against 2,000 things coming at you, no matter what, how great the aircraft carrier is and how, how many destroyers you have around it to protect it. So I think that's what the Chinese are going to do, and, and we've got to figure out a way to, to shut that down. Maybe EMP, other, other different weapon systems that, that, quite frankly, we're behind in right now that the Chinese have the lead in.
1: Hypersonic missiles and drone clouds. Good Lord, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight.
2: Yeah, (laughs) no, I
3: know. Well, yeah, maybe I I guess this is what you know. Kind of, we do as the analyst side. We're always looking at what the capabilities are, and we've got to make sure that we have the capability to defend, and we also recognize when there's a weakness to kind of to kind of run it through. Um, the, The Chinese could make a tremendous mistake if they don't get it right the first time. Here's what the Chinese don't have, whether we like it or not. The U.S. has been you know, bloodied. We have got experienced military. You know, We've been to war the past 20 years, so we kind of know how to do this. The Chinese haven't shot at anybody since 1979. So the question is, if they do get in some kind of land battle or some big conflict, um, are they going to have the guts to pull the trigger? And mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, that remains to be seen.
2: So how much does that matter, that we have you know, recent actual military experience and they don't?
3: Me personally, I think it matters a lot. Um, again, because when you... Uh, it's a function of how well they're going to do once the shooting starts. Like like my, what I found in combat was once our soldiers saw the confidence that they had in their equipment and the fact that it was no match, it created a sense of invincibility around our units. And, and I'm sure the pilots feel the same way, and I know the sailors feel the same way. That doesn't matter. We're going to be fine in this situation. The Chinese have yet to prove that out, whether or not their, their investment is going to take do that for them. From a cultural perspective, and they recognize that culture is an important part of this. Because you know, again, the PLA, the whole the whole army thing is still kind of new for them. They're, they've invested money in their officers. The, the the leader of China, for example, doesn't even trust a lot of his general officers because a lot of that has been bought and paid. So they have the traditional problems of those those armies that kind of get you know brought up from the from the the, the root cause. But now they've got to go actually fight. The question is whether they'll actually fight. You know, what, what do you fight for? I know I know when we're in our units, you know, we fight for each other. But the question is whether those Chinese PLA and army units will do the same for each other
1: well and i've been told by somebody uh, who studies this thing and whose opinion i trust that just culturally and historically we have a tradition of um, you know the intent of your commander they tell you what we're trying to accomplish then if um, if it turns out we need to improvise and do something different or in a different way our people are empowered to do that, as opposed to a lot of Asian cultures, including Japan, which has struggled with this. It's very, very much top-down, and you dare not dishonor, uh, dishonor your commander.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure that same level of dishonor is in the Chinese military as they've tried to fight against that. But again, we won't know until the bullets start flying, I guess, on some level. We definitely saw that in, in the Japanese military, especially during World War II and, and, and how they felt. Um, I think that the, they recognize culture as an issue. If you look at their advertisements, if you look at what they're trying to do, they're they're trying to power down um, and focus on NCOs, the non-commissioned officers that actually run the battles there. Uh, but but it takes it takes generation, and they're going to have to get you know into something. So I wouldn't be surprised if you saw. The Chinese deploy certain units into certain places in the world to try to get some combat experience as proxy forces to, to their units so they can kind of come back and tell the story and recognize what their shortcomings are going to be and what they're going to have to overcome if, they get into, if we get into this great land power mass battle that could take place uh, on those islands within the South China Sea. Wow, so
1: many interesting points. Mike Lyons, military analyst. Mike, we truly appreciate it. Guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, you, you can't great get stuff. you can't
2: get that perspective from anybody else. Oh,
1: so good! The, the, the last bit about China: look for them to send their forces as proxies to various regions of the world to get a little combat experience. And well, now I know what to look for.
2: So over a hundred military ag- aircraft flew into ta- Taiwan space. Eighty fighter jets, four bombers, five anti-sub planes, four early warning aircraft. Man, that is provocative. And that thing about, you know, we've got experience and they don't, all the sports metaphors that, that exist there, you know, they've got experience. The new upstarts, can they handle the pressure? Well, sometimes you can't, and the people with experience win, but sometimes the young upstarts who have never been there, they win. Right. Um. If they have enough talent slash firepower in that place, yeah. Yeah, man, it just, I know I've been talking about this for years. But I just, I just feel like there's so much of our culture, so much of our population doesn't, doesn't think this is possible. There's no way great powers are going to go to war. The same thing they thought in 1914 before August. Real wars are in history. Books. Right, right. There's no way China would actually use a, a technical nuke to take Taiwan. They could do that this afternoon and change world history forever. And we got a giant decision to make on whether or not we fight back or just say, okay, you have it. We're not going to blow up half the world over this. And then all of a sudden, Japan's got to decide, okay, I guess we got to deal with China because they control all the commerce in the ocean over here now. The United States doesn't, we don't, China doesn't. If we want to even be a country and have anything, oil, food, anything, we got to deal with China because they're now the big dog over here. And Australia might go along, who knows? I mean, it, things, actually, I listened to a podcast about this yesterday, uh, but uh, things things to topple, dominoes topple very quickly if the world decides, oh, so the United States is not
1: going to bend Taiwan. Oh, okay. Right. Well, and I have a feeling our babbling great-grandpa uh, president would just take it to the U.N. and hold a debate.
2: Whew, that's some interesting stuff. Text line 415
0: 295 KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The
2: Armstrong and Getty Show. Why Man, I'll tell you what, the illegal coffee pot that's been brought into the workplace has got everybody <laughs> so happy. I Who last, authorized
1: this coffee pot? I don't remember the last time people have been this happy. Yeah, that's great. I want to talk more about Dr. Fauci later on. I, I just, the idea popped into my head. He said, that's too early to know whether you can gather with your family at Christmas. Then he denied saying that and said it was like a right-wing conspiracy theory. Everybody needs to take a family photo at Christmas, given the finger to the camera <laughs> and send it to Dr. Fauci. Wouldn't that be great? 50,000 families do that. So the Facebook whistleblower is testifying before
2: senators right now. want to talk about that a little bit later, but it reminds me. Uh, Facebook was off the air, offline, for half the day yesterday. And all the late-night comedians took a
1: swipe at it, so we thought we'd do a late-night joke-off. How does that work? Well, Jack, we'll play all three jokes, and then I, Joe Getty, will rate them. I will grade them, and the bottom bottom grade getter will be banned from comedy for life. Exercising My Powers by the International Comedy Commission. Awesome. Uh, go ahead, let's hear it. Yes, Facebook's entire site crashed. They were like, oh my God, this is the best press we've had in months! <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile,
2: people who couldn't use Instagram spent the day posting their weekend pumpkin patch selfies on LinkedIn. Right. <laughs> no one cares. Yeah. Isn't he cute? Well, uh, kind of. He's 24 now, isn't he? Yeah, but he's still like... <laughs> There was a massive social media outage. Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and even Gmail all went down for hours. Yes. Yeah, with no social media, I actually ended up spending most of the day talking to my son. He's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice guy. I, didn't, I didn't know. People started noticing something was wrong this morning when they felt happy for more than 30 minutes. Wow.
3: One place you couldn't share your favorite National Taco Day memories today was Facebook, because they, along with WhatsApp and Instagram, suffered outages this afternoon. So, yeah, I know. Yes, one imagines that's sad. So, if you wanted to share photos, you had to go door to door with Polaroids of your brunch. <laughs>
1: it's pretty funny. You know, that's a tough grade today. Uh, I give uh, Fallon an A minus. It was a solid effort. Corden with a B plus, Colbert with an A, and keep in mind that Corden gets uh, subtracted a full grade because he's a foreigner taking comedy jobs Americans should be doing. So James Corden, in spite of a decent effort, banned from comedy for life. My justice is swift and frequently arbitrary. So
2: I thought Corden's joke about you know uh, people being uh, happy for the first time or whatever, and the crowd laughing. Maybe maybe market forces are working with Facebook, and it's just slower than we would like. That people are catching on to, hey, this makes people miserable. This is making my kids
1: miserable. This is making me miserable. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I think there will be a substantial chunk of the population that never catches on. But uh, what are you going to do? Of course, if it's an addiction,
2: there's lots of things that can make you miserable. But if it's an addiction, it's hard to break. If you miss an hour, go to the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com.
0: Armstrong and Getty. Mm -hmm.
2: Joe Manchin had people on kayaks show up to his boat, T.L. Adam. Senator Sinema last night was chased into a restroom. Do you think that those tactics are crossing a line?
1: I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody. From The, <laughs> the only people it doesn't happen to are people who have Secret Service standing around them. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's part of the process.
2: So you're telling me, Mr. President, that people get chased into restrooms all the time and screamed at through the door of the bathroom? That's a common thing? Because it's weird. I haven't heard about it or seen it anywhere. It's I It's part of
1: the process.
2: I don't think it is common in my lifetime that people got yelled at at restaurants or, uh, or, or headed to the bathroom or confronted on elevators. I think this is a new thing. And you, as the leader of the country, not calling it out is really disappointing. He had an opportunity to say, no, we need to lower the temperature in this country. Confronting people in a way that makes them physically afraid is not good. Um, but he didn't say that. It happens to everybody. What are you going to do? And it's interesting. So I was I was upset about that when it happened yesterday. Then yesterday afternoon, I'm taking in this documentary about the French Revolution because I'm on this French Revolution kick. So um, at one point in the French Revolution, early in the French Revolution, the, uh, the 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 people go to the the palace and they go in and they kill the guards, um. are at the palace and, and chase Marie Antoinette and uh, she has to run and hide, and everybody was kind of looking to this new uh, Congress that had been put together of the people, and there's like a million different names for these, but it was a, it was a group of people who's going to be kind of the new you know we're taking back our country or whatever and everybody's kind of looking you know what's your response to this violence because it was the first violence. Of the French Revolution, and they didn't say anything, which everybody took and historians have taken as that was a tip of the hat, go for it, go for it, as opposed to if they had stood up and said, stood and said, one thing we're not going to allow is violence. These are the things we believe. We just wrote this new constitution. Constitution about the rights of man. This is what we believe. Blah 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 blah. But they liberty, didn't.
1: fraternity, and but, heavy cream sauce.
2: But they didn't. They 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 made it clear to everyone that violence was okay. Joe Biden yesterday made it clear to everybody: chase people down, scream scream at them wherever they want, make them feel personally, physically afraid. Sure, if you want to. That's what Joe Biden did yesterday.
1: Well, and it's not surprising given the given the events of last summer in which there was rioting, looting, burning, violence, murder, etc. and the left uh, if they condemned it at all did it uh, did so in such wishy-washy fashion that it sent the opposite message.
2: And obviously, and I hate to even say this, it's so obvious. If some right-wingers had chased AOC into the bathroom and yelled at her, imagine how people would have talked about she's a person of color, she's a woman, it's anti-woman, it's blah, 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 January 6th. Sure. White supremacy, just all that crap. It's not cool, and the president should have called it out. That's really disappointing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. The next thing I was going to do, I was going to talk, uh, believe it or not, about the debt ceiling thing, not because it in itself is important, but it, because it illustrates so much about modern politics. Um And I was going to share with you part of this editorial from the Washington Post editorial board. It's entitled, Joe Biden is proving he's pretty inept at politics. And I would agree. Pull well, that bad at cut care. Uh, Did you want to do something else before we get to that?
2: I, I did want to mention this. The Facebook whistleblower is testifying right now before the Senate. And here's one interesting thing. We're used to watching these big Senate hearings where the person being grilled is all nervous and on the hot seat. She looks as calm and relaxed. She even yawned at one point. She's got nothing to hide. I'll tell you whatever you want to tell me. Look, I used to work there. I'm blowing the whistle. I'm protected by whistleblower laws. Bring it on. So uh, that's a good position to be in. And Republicans and Democrats are just loving kicking Facebook right now. So we'll bring you some highlights of that later.
0: We have a cut.
1: Interesting. We have a cut that's fresh from this morning if you want it. Oh, a nice, fresh cut. We'll, we'll do that uh, yeah, maybe we don't, we don't next don't segment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh the thing I wanted to tell, tell you about with the debt ceiling and, and the fight over it is phony. It's phony, but it's it's a great illustration of the way politics really works. Uh Senate, if you don't know, the, the Democrats want to spend trillions of dollars more to do that. You have to. Plus the money that's already been spent. You have to raise the debt ceiling, which is a silly and meaningless law that has never done any good. The intent behind it was okay, but uh, they raise it all the time anyway. Anyway, so anyway, um, Joe Biden is demanding that the Republicans join in raising the debt ceiling, mostly so the Republicans can't use it as a campaign issue. But uh, the uh, droopy dog like uh, leader of the Republicans in the Senate, Mitch McConnell. Uh, wrote the following. Uh, He believed the U.S. was sleepwalking towards significant and avoidable danger because of confusion and inaction from the Speaker of the House and Senate Democratic leader concerning basic governing duties. Since mid-July, Republicans have clearly stated that Democrats will need to raise the debt limit on their own. All year, your party has chosen to pursue staggering quote, transformational spending through unprecedented use of the party line reconciliation process. Democrats inherited bipartisan trends from COVID relief to appropriations, but have chosen to govern alone. Uh, Even now with Americans facing painful inflation, blah, blah, blah. They're doing it on their own. Bipartisanship is not a light switch that Speaker Pelosi and Leader Schumer may flip on to borrow money or flip off to spend it. Republicans' position is simple. We have no list of demands. For two and a half months, we have simply warned that since your party wishes to govern alone, it must handle the debt limit alone as well. As you and I know from shared Senate experience, this is not unusual. The debt limit is often a partisan vote during times of unified government. In 2003, 2004, and 2006, Mr. President, you joined Senate Democrats in opposing debt limit increases and made Republicans do it yourselves, ourselves rather. You explained on the Senate floor that your no vote did not mean you wanted the majority to let the country default, but rather that the president's party had to take responsibility for a policy agenda which you opposed. Your view then is, so, is our view now.
2: This is so tiring. It's I know. so tiring and both sides do this constantly. They do exactly what the other side did just reversed the situation over and over and over again on all these things. And that which
1: was righteous then is outrageous now. And people that are new to politics, I guess, don't catch on. Right. Right. Or they don't remember, but it's mostly, yeah, newbies. Or people who are just barely paying attention. And, and, you know, you got a life to live. Why would you commit to memory what happened, read the debt limit in 2003? All right. Yeah. You, you know, you, you got better things to do
2: than remember yeah. that. And then also doing the same thing over and over again. Yesterday, Joe Biden, the president said, and if the debt ceiling isn't raised, quote, social security benefits and veterans benefits will go away. Oldest game in the book, said this Twitter person. Gut the 10% of spending people like lovingly nurture the worthless 90%. Well said. Beautifully said. This is what they always do. They talk about Social Security checks won't go out. Of our trillions and trillions of dollars that we spend every year in the government, most of it on crap that doesn't do anything, what you're going to do is
1: stop Social Security payments. You're going to starve the old first. (laughs) That's your first budget cut.
2: Just like the old teachers and firefighters. That's who's got to go in a state budget if you run out of money.
1: Right, exactly. Oldest trick in the book. So anyway, back to this editorial in the New York Post, which I liked. Whatever is left of the Joe Biden competence myth just crumbled away Monday when the president gave a desperate speech to try to make Republicans help him. This is the master of Senate negotiation? The guy who said only he could reach across the aisle? Watching President Biden and his team try their hand at politics over the past two weeks, it's hard not to be reminded of Mets manager Casey Stengel saying, can't anybody here play this game? Congress must raise the debt limit, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and the McConnell pointed out they can do it themselves. Biden, who doesn't mind using reconciliation for all other kinds of massive spending bills, doesn't want to do this. Why? And this is how politics works. Because then Republicans can go into the midterm saying the Democrats raised the debt limit by a gajillion dollars. They are not the party of fiscal responsibility. Biden argues that we're reaching the debt limit because of money already spent and bills voted on by both parties. Fair enough. But the Republicans are taking this stand to point out that the Democrats want to spend trillions more this year. And besides that, it's politics. This is what politicians do, which is exactly why Biden himself voted against the debt ceiling increase three times when he was in the Senate. Smart politicians use carrots and sticks to get what they want. And then there's Joe Biden, whose incentive to Republicans is nothing. The threat is nothing. Certainly, Biden's signature speaking style of coughing and creepy whispers won't sway anyone. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Coughing and creepy whispers. (laughs) I suffered pressure. (laughs) And Dr. Seussian
2: made up words. So, good news for me, I've got a lot of money. Bad news for me, I don't have a lot of money on two things. Once again, I did not win. The Nobel Prize for Physics, they they named three scientists that did, and that's a million-dollar prize, so I was really looking forward to th- this year. I got this thing where I set up dominoes, and they all fall down, and then they knock over a thing, and a tennis ball rolls. But anyway... Um, they ignored
1: you again? They ignored me again. It's racism.
2: Uh, I wanna, I'm always kind of interested in the Nobel Prize for all these different things come out, because I learned something. But today, these guys do a lot around climate stuff, so mm. the Nobel Committee often, like going with the hot political story soon. Who knows. Anyway, I am wealthy in that you probably have heard someone won the Powerball, the 700 million dollars. Wow. It's, it's been announced it was a Californian, they haven't come forward and I'm willing to come forward now it was me. Wow. Thanks I, for showing up today. I won it and uh not sure what I'm going to do with the money. Probably going to buy a big chocolate pot. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Beautiful. But, uh, Beautiful. Yeah. So yeah. Michael,
1: Michael, you have any interest in co-hosting? I'm sure uh, Jack I'll will give be it out a try. I'm going to keep. I'm, gonna, I change,
2: I'm not going to change everything. Just going to put it in the bank so it can grow with interest. I'll put it in a, a savings account.
1: It'll grow two percent a year, and uh, <laughs> that's what I'm going to do.
2: If I've won that amount of money, I wouldn't tell a
1: soul. I don't think well, I no, would either. Absolutely not. No, you you take it anonymously. You have some lawyer show up to collect it. I'll absolutely. tell you what.
2: It, it, you know, obviously, it depends on your situation, but I could see if you're a man or a woman, not telling your spouse because it is going to change. Everything. Everything.
3: Hmm.
1: You know, depends on your situation, like I said. Well, run your life how you see fit. I would certainly tell my spouse, but... Well, uh, that's why I said it depends it, it, on your situation. Right, exactly. <laughs> but I would also buy a 100-foot yacht, and when people asked me about it, I'd say, hey, it was used, you know, so nobody would know it was me. God, you tell your kids. Your relationship with your kids is so different now
2: and will be forever. It just is. Yeah. You like it or not, and maybe you can make it work, but everything's going to be different. You're, you're, uh, don't you think your kids' d- feeling of, I've got to figure out how to make a living in my life, just
1: disappeared forever? But then they got to come after me and kill me, right? I mean, because <laughs> actuarial tables, uh, never mind my lifestyle, well, say either, I ought to live for another 30 years. You
2: either give them money, or they are going to resent it no matter what.
1: Yeah, probably so. I would. I would, like Michael said, I would keep it secret to the best of my ability. Of course, I already have, you know, enough money i could give them money if i wanted you know i have a good friend who believes in and he's a terrific guy hardworking guy really salt of the earth and he's uh, made quite a bit of money he's been very successful and he believes in just lavishing money on his adult kids yeah
2: i know a guy like that when we were in charlotte there was a guy a business guy i remember he and i went on a skiing trip uh one time together anyway he had just bought his son who was a bit of ne'er-do-well just bought his son a brand new pickup and uh, and I kind of you know that's interesting. What's your theory? He said I want to get. He said people talk about spoiling. I want to spoil my kid. That's that's why I worked so hard and made this money. I want to spoil my kids. I want to give them everything. I don't. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't see it that
1: way. But again, this was a good guy who expressed this to me. and I've been thinking about it. Huh. There are certain people who ought to try harder to get a good job uh, involved, <laughs> but. To, <laughs> It's already out of bounds. Out of bounds. <laughs> out of bounds. Both feet.
2: Um, uh, yeah, so um, William Shatner's going to be shot into space here in a couple of days. Is that a punishment of some sort? <laughs> we're just tired of him, so we're shooting him into space. <laughs> He's going to be the person ever to go in space at age 90. So, um, The Facebook whistleblower is speaking. Uh, there are a couple of clips coming out of that where she is really laying it on thick on the evils of Facebook. We'll hear a little of that next.
0: Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. This is not simply a matter of certain social media users being angry or unstable or about one side being radicalized against the other. It is about Facebook choosing to grow at all costs, becoming an almost trillion-dollar company by buying its profits with our safety.
2: Is somebody going to Ken Bone, this Hagen woman, who is the whistleblower for Facebook? Because she seems like the first person I can remember that doesn't seem to have any agenda other than she's worried about the country and uh, the way information is being uh, sent around and with kids and stuff. It just seems like she's trying to do the right thing. Is I disagree. Gonna, is somebody going to Ken Boner at some yeah, it's point? Already,
1: it's already been done, and, and you missed it. She is a, uh, a lefty activist, and one of her motivations is she doesn't think fi- uh, Facebook did enough to to bring down Trump and, and censor the quote-unquote far right, which... You know, and and to some, if you're a real tribalist or you're you're a religious activist, a religious politics activist, like we were talking about before, you think, well, okay, she's evil; everything she says is wrong. No, I think whatever her motivations is, she's revealing some really important stuff. And the whole we've got to sil- silence the right wing lunatics thing. That's not going to go anywhere, anyway. Really, no farther than it's gone. Uh, okay. But she's so, she's donated the AOC thousands of dollars and stuff like that. Let's hear some more from her.
0: Almost no one outside of Facebook knows what happens inside of Facebook. The company intentionally hides vital information from the public, from the U.S. government, and from governments around the world. The documents I have provided to Congress prove that Facebook has repeatedly misled the public about what its own research reveals about the safety of children, the efficacy of its artificial intelligence systems, and its role in spreading divisive and extreme messages. I came forward because I believe that every human being deserves the dignity of the truth. The severity of this crisis demands that we break out of our previous regulatory frames. Facebook wants to trick you into thinking that privacy protections or changes to Section 230 alone will be sufficient. While important, these will not get to the core of the issue, which is that no one truly understands the destructive choices made by Facebook except Facebook.
2: So the real liability seems to be for Facebook is if they've misled investors by keeping this stuff secret, which they may have. And then they've, they've got an actual crime on their hands. But and, you, and,
1: and the other stuff, the, the kids, the safety, the lying, that gives enthusiasm to those who pursue the black and white stuff, which matters. Yeah, exactly. And there is a lot of enthusiasm.
2: This good on 60 Minutes. Clips from 60 Minutes were played on every single show, regardless of the political background. Every channel, everything I took in yesterday featured some of the clips of her on 60 Minutes from Sunday night. So Republicans, Democrats alike are coming after Facebook. So they, they got a head full of steam, and it can't be good for Mark Zuckerberg.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to hear some more clips. Keep grabbing those, uh handsome. Love it. Um. They've found
2: the world, uh, one of the world oldest toilets in history. Hmm. 27-year-old toilet found in Jerusalem. 27 years old? 27. That's not very old. Yes, it's from uh, 1994. <laughs> no, uh, It's
1: amazing the technology they had back then.
2: <laughs> coal. They dusted it off. It says colon. Now, 2,700-year-old, 700 years pre-Jesus. Uh, twenty seven hundred year old toilet found in Jerusalem. Some of the responses to the story are kind of funny. I was looking at the Twitter.
1: What are you coming out of there? What are you waiting on the savior? What seven hundred years before Jesus? Get w- it?
2: What an asshole! Somebody responded. Very um, nice. oh, it appears to be just a hole in a chunk of rock, though. I'm not, you know, I mean, technically, it's a toilet, but. Hmm. Anyway, hmm. uh, saying it's seven hundred years pre Jesus reminded me of this, and I did a little. Uh, up with um, religion earlier in the show. Here's a little down with religion. I'm pro-religion, Then, pro then I'll reveal
1: my plan to buy the world's oldest toilet and charge people 100 bucks a throw to use it. And I'll take pictures. It'll be just like Disney. I'd pay 100 bucks to sit on that. Yeah, and I'll have a nice, uh, tasteful picture of you using it and sell it to you.
2: I'd prefer to be first in line.
1: <laughs> well, this, there's an extensive cleaning process.
2: Yeah. You sit on the toilet seat and it's warm. That's, a, that's an oogie feeling. Ugh. Someone was there. Uh, this story out is just freaking awful. So they did a big study in France. A big French report says there the Catholic Church has abused 330,000 victims. Children, by the way. This is all child abuse. 330,000 children have been abused by the Catholic Church in France over the last 70 years. Every part of the world has these same stories. The numbers are always the same. They're mind-boggling. How is the Catholic Church not just a child-raping syndicate, a worldwide child-raping syndicate?
1: Well, the term systemic is thrown around a lot these days. It is absolutely clear the Catholic Church has a systemic child sexual abuse problem. And has for a century? Ten centuries? I don't know. God, that's unbelievable. Unbelievable.
2: And it still does not get the attention it deserves. I guess with so many people thinking, well, that was years ago. I'm sure they're not that way now. Okay. Mm. And we'll see. If you miss an hour of the show, go to armstrongandgetty.com.
0: Armstrong and Getty.